this time of getting into the Word of God. We thank you, Lord. I pray that, that you would brood over your spirit, would brood over this Word tonight, and help us just to get captivated in you to give you our best, your full attention, our focus. Let this go as living seeds in a good, fertile soil in every life, watered by the Spirit of God. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains in all of us. And Lord, your light will shine forth of your truth and dispel all the darkness of the enemy. Let the hammer of the Word of God break down the strongholds. And let the washing of the water of the Word cleanse us. And let everything be compassed through this Word. Let the winds of your Spirit carry it everywhere it's supposed to go. And your holy angels go on assignment to break things open and cause it to get where it needs to be. We thank you, Lord, for it. Let it go forth now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. I've been dealing with the End Time Prophecy series. I, I did part 29 last week. The Holy Spirit has told me to take a small break from that. I'm going to come back and do one more in a couple weeks. I'm going to deal with, uh, last week I dealt with Israel, the land of Israel, prophecies that have been fulfilled up till now, and then the prophecies that will be fulfilled for Israel. Okay, so it was a, it was a good sermon that, that covered a lot of information about Israel. Okay, and then as we end the series in a few weeks, I'm going to deal with how to survive and also thrive and do well in the last days. And in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to deal with this particular subject and probably water baptism so that you can have faith to believe God for the power of what that is and what it represents. All right, so um, in this series, just two two-part series, I'm going to deal with, I know that it's going to be keys to prosperity and deal with finances, but it's more than that. I haven't preached on finances since 2011. Can you believe that? It's just not something God uses me a lot with, but it is important. Amen? It is. It's an important part of people's lives. Okay, but I'm also going to deal with not just that. I'm going to deal with us bearing fruit for the kingdom. And so I really believe that you'll be blessed by this by the end of it, especially the stories I'm going to tell. My goal is to get all of us to begin to think beyond our life when we get into heaven, the rewards, what we're going to have, what we're not going to have, I want you to think about the reality of heaven and hell and kind of think about the bigger picture because it's so easy to get caught up in our nine-to-five jobs and in life and to get just locked into that and not think about the big picture, okay, fulfilling our destiny in God to doing everything God's called to do, being faithful with things. And all of that, I want to kind of open that up tonight, okay? So this is... Part one is called Hoarding Wealth in the Last Days. Let me read you these couple scriptures. I'm going to tell some stories. James 5 verse 1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have hoarded wealth. And how many knows we're living in the last days? In Matthew six nineteen, do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's why Jesus is dealing with the issue here. It is a heart issue. Amen. Let me say it again. Jesus is dealing with the real issue. It is a heart issue. Are we living for the here and the now? Or are we living for eternity? And it all boils down to our hearts being right with God. 
Okay, let me tell you a few stories, and I'll give you some scriptures going on with them. I, I really believe these will bless you. The first one is this. There was a man by the name of Don Shepherd that lived back, um, he may still be living actually, he's a pastor, and he had an, an experience in the 80s where he was extremely sick, <clears throat> and he was dying, and on, on his deathbed, he didn't know for sure if he died or if he just had a vision, I think he had a vision, honestly, but he had this experience that was really radical. So let me just tell you about it, okay? But this is meant for you to understand, and let's think about, look, we could leave out of here. I believe all of us, I bless you, live a long, healthy life, amen? But we could live out here. We're not promised tomorrow. And so we need to be thinking about what we're doing right now in our lives. So here's what happened. He said, several years ago, a minister by the name of Don Shepherd was in a hospital in bed, very serious health issues. He, went, he thought he was dying, and immediately he was taken into a tunnel with an angel that he knew that had been assigned to him in his lifetime, and he, there was a bright light in front of him. So he's walking in this tunnel, bright light in front of him, angel with him on the left. In front and behind him were people who were holding a book. Now, this isn't in your notes. Y'all just look this way and listen. Some had several books and others just had one book. And there was a circular room that they entered. This was a judgment seat because the Lord came in there. He was enthroned. And the books that people were holding were records of their works that they did while on the earth. So he saw in front of him this televangelist that had several large books. But at the judgment seat of Christ... When the books were touched by the Lord, there was a fire that got those books, and all of them turned into ashes. And the televangelist was sad, and he was saying to himself, it was all in vain. Then there was a woman who was faithful to the Lord, unknown, totally unknown by the world's standards, and all she had was one little book. And when she stood before the Lord, the Lord touched her book, and her book turned into gemstones and rubies and things like that. And she greatly rejoiced. She had another book that was given to her. And when the Lord touched that book with his scepter, it turned into liquid gold. And then Jesus used the gold and the gemstones and he made for her a crown and put it on her head. Isn't that powerful? So let's think about this for a minute. Let me read you a scripture, why I think this was a very legitimate vision that he had, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And everybody says amen about that. All right, verse 12. Now, if any man builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or he could build with wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident for the day. Anytime you see the day, it's talking about judgment day, okay? The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work was built on, I'm sorry, if a man, if any man's work which he has built on remains he will receive a reward if any man's work is burned up he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet as though through the fire all right so we can see here that what we do in this life and what we don't do but what we do for the lord is going to determine reward systems in heaven 
And there's other scriptures I can use, but it would be like its own sermon going off on a rabbit trail, and I don't want to do that. But let me just say, the Bible's clear that we, listen, all of us are going to die. Unless we're raptured, we're going to die. All right. And everybody is not only going to die, but everybody is going to stand before the Lord. Every Christian is going to die and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, known the Bema seat, that's the judgment for Christians. And every lost person is going to go, when they die, they go to hell, and they're going to stay there till the end of the thousand years, and they're going to have the great white throne judgment, which will be really bad. Okay, but everybody is going to die, and everybody is going to be judged. Okay, I'm trying to really bring this home. You're not going to get out of this. And when we stand before the Lord, we're going to stand before the Lord, really just Him and us, just individually. He's going to judge us based on the way that we lived. And right now, the things that we do, and let me give you some examples. I'm going to try to say this as I go and help. I've known people down through the years because I've been in ministry now for several years and I've, I've pastored and I've seen a lot of things come and go. And I remember this one family and they, man, they, if you talk to him, he's, he talked so spiritual and he would present himself really, if you talk to him, you would think he was really a spiritual person. But in reality, as a pastor, the guy was in and out of church. He was hardly ever here. He was, um, wasn't faithful with his tithe, didn't give in offerings, didn't come to prayer meetings and help us pray, was not out winning souls with us. And to be honest, he, he had a lot of spiritual pride. I'm saying this to help you all, okay? <clears throat> he had a lot of spiritual pride. He had an ego. He saw himself way up here, but based on God's word, he was way down somewhere down here. He's not really bearing fruit for the kingdom. And that's where a lot of people are. They're spiritual babies at best. Backslidden, cold. They're not really doing things for the Lord. And I'm hoping this sermon will be like a cattle prod and kind of stir some people up to start doing some stuff for God because seriously, we're going to die and stand before Him. And there's some people that they've got a real inflated view of themselves, but they're not really spiritual. They're not really bearing fruit for the kingdom. It's kind of like that little lady. That little lady in this vision that he had was faithful with whatever she's called to do. And let me, let me say it this way. This might help. In most churches across the nation, I believe River of Life to a degree is an exception because there's a higher percentage. But I promise you, and every preacher that hears this, if they do, would agree with this. And I've been in several churches, and those that have been in churches for many years will agree with this. In most churches, 10% of the people do 90% of everything. Those are the 10% that are like that little faithful lady there that's got her book and she's going to have a crown on Judgment Day. But then you've got others that they just, they come to church when they feel like it. They're backslid so they could stay home and they'd be fine too because they're not hungry for, you know. And they're not really faithful. God, listen, God can't trust them with much because they're not really faithful. All right, we'll get more into that as we go. Now, here's a different story. This is out of a book called The Final Quest by Rick Joyner, and he deals with a guy named Angelo. 
Now, Rick, in this book, he had a vision of heaven. It was a really good book. I recommend if you haven't read it that you read it. But I want you just to hear this. It's not in your notes, but y'all give me your best ear, okay? All right. So Jesus was talking to him in the vision, and he was showing him that there were people that had not really been overcomers. They made it into heaven by the skin of their teeth. But they were kind of in the lower echelons. But they were people that really lived for Christ and were really overcomers. And, and they were up in these areas of like being in a throne and all of this. And there's scripture to support all this. And they really overcame. They, they, they were fruitful for the Lord. They were the overcomers. And he saw these people. And I, what I want to bring out in this story is that Jesus' judgment is a lot different than our judgment. We tend to judge on externals, and we don't know people's life. We don't know their story. We don't know their heart. We don't know their calling. We don't know really much of anything about them. But we all tend to judge by externals. But Jesus knows the whole story. And this, if you'll hear this tonight, this could actually really change your view about some things and really impact your life. All right. So he was talking to Jesus, and Jesus told him, there's still someone that I want you to meet before you return back to the battle. He said as we walked, as he did, I continued to be astonished by how many more how much more glorious that Jesus had become in just a few minutes before. Every time you see me, Jesus said to him, with the eyes of your heart, your mind is being renewed more and more. And he proceeded to say, one day you'll be able to abide in my presence continually. Well, that's awesome. And when you do that, you'll have learned by my spirit, um, you'll be readily available to you and I will be available to you. I could hear him and understand what he said, but I was so captured by his glory that I had to ask him, Lord, why are you so much more glorious than what you appeared to be before? And he said, I've never changed, you have. Now that's something right there to remember. Jesus doesn't change. We have to change. But the more we change, the more we see Jesus the way he really is. He says, you are changed as you behold my glory with an unfilled face. The experiences that you have are removing the veils away. All of us have things that need to be cleared away out of our vision preconceived ideas the way we were raised the way society is uh, our pet doctrines denominational stuff all this got to be cleared away so we can actually see jesus the way he really is and see the truth okay he says nothing removes these veils more quickly as when you behold my love and then he stopped and i turned to look at the thrones that were there and he said these were where some of the highest kings the greatest overcomers were sitting and i recognized a man there and I said to him, Sir, I know you from somewhere, but I can't remember you. And the man on the throne replied, he said, You saw me in a vision. And then immediately he remembered and said, You're a real person, you know, because he thought in the vision it was just a vision. And he said, I remembered the day when as a young Christian I'd become frustrated with some of the issues in my life. And I went out to the middle of a park and by my apartment and I determined that I was going to wait on the Lord till the Lord spoke to me. How many have ever done that? You just set aside, I'm going to wait till I hear from God. And <laughs> you waited. He waited for a long time, right? And he sat there and prayed and read his Bible. And he said all of a sudden he was caught up in a vision. It was one of the first ones he had ever had in his life. And in the vision he saw a man who was zealously serving the Lord. Now listen to this. This will really impact you. He saw a man that was zealously serving the Lord. He was continually witnessing to people, teaching the Bible, visiting the sick, praying for them. He was zealous. And he was genuine in his love for people. Then I saw another man. This man was named Angelo, and he was obviously a tramp or a homeless person, and he was walking along, and there was this small kitten that wandered into his path, and he started to kick it, but he restrained himself, and he just shoved it out of the way kind of harshly. And the Lord asked 
him, he said, which one of these do you think is more pleasing to me? Which one would you say? Everybody's going to say the zealous guy. Well, that's what he said. And Jesus said, no, actually, that's not the truth. And so he went on to explain to him why. He said, the first man had been raised in a wonderful family, which had always known the Lord. He grew up in a thriving church, attending one of the best Bible colleges. He was given, now listen, this is symbolic. He said, I gave him like a hundred portions of my love, but yet he was only using 75. Think about this. This is all going to make sense here in a moment. He said he was given a hundred portions of love, but yet he was only using 75. So he's not reaching his potential. Now listen to the second man, Angelo. The second man was born deaf. He was abused continually. He was kept in the dark in a cold attic until he was found by the authorities when he was eight years old. He had been shifted from one institution to another where the abuse continued throughout his whole life. Finally, he was turned out onto the streets and he became homeless. He had nothing. And he said in his life, because of how bad his life was, he said, the Lord said, I only gave him three portions of my love just to help him to overcome these things. But he mustered every bit of that love to fight off the rage in his heart so that he wouldn't even hurt that kitten. And then he said, now, now this guy was in the vision and sees this man, Angelo, as one of these great overcomers. So this is kind of intimidating, you know. And he's looking at the man uh, like a king sitting on a throne, far more glorious than Solomon was in his day. And there was angels all around him. And he turned to the Lord in awe. And he said, I still cannot believe that that vision you gave me was actually real. And And then he told the Lord, please tell me the rest of the story. Of course, this is why we're here. So Angelo was so faithful with that little bit that I gave him, those little three portions of love. He was so faithful with them. He used all of that in his life to quit stealing after he came to know Jesus. He wanted to quit stealing. He almost starved to death because he refused to steal any longer. He bought his food with what he could by collecting bottles, and occasionally he found someone who would let him do yard work. Angelo could not hear, but he did learn to read, and so I sent him a gospel tract. This is where he accepted the Lord, okay? And... Again, after he accepted the Lord, it's like the portions of love doubled. They increased in him. So he he had more of Christ's love in him now. And he wanted to share Jesus with everybody. But he couldn't speak. Even though he lived in such poverty, he started spending over half of everything that he made. Now understand, this is somebody that's collecting bottles. He spent over half of everything he made to buy gospel tracts because he couldn't talk and so he'd go to the street corners and give them out and so he asked the lord well how many people did he lead to you thinking it must have been this great multitude and jesus said one he said in order to encourage him i let him lead a dying alcoholic to me it encouraged him so much that he would have stood on the corner for many more years to bring other souls to repentance but all of heaven was entreating me to bring him here now here's an interesting part a different kind of martyr. See, this is what I'm saying with Jesus' judgment. Jesus looks at things and judges things very different than the way we do. Just like earlier in that completely, totally different vision, if you saw the televangelist with all the books, you'd be thinking, and then you saw the little lady with her little book, who would you think was greater in the eyes of God? You would think the guy. But yet all of his books were in ashes on Judgment Day, and hers turned into a crown. 
So see, Jesus' judgment is very, very different than ours. So it goes on a little bit more. I'll tell you a little bit more. Um, a different kind of martyr. But what did Angelo do to become a king here and to be such an overcomer? And Jesus said he was faithful with all he was given. He overcame all until he became like me and died a martyr. But what did he overcome and how was he martyred? And he overcame the world by my love. And he said, very few have overcome so much with so little. That right there is the key. He overcame so much with yet so little. So see, here's the point I want to make with this. To make a long story short, Angelo died by giving his cardboard box to another guy so that he he could sleep in the freezing cold and then he froze to death that night. That's how he died. Okay. So he lived for other people. But here's my point. The man that had so much in life, like 100 portions of Christ's love, so to speak, was only used in 75. This other guy had such a horrible life, and he only had like a six portions of Jesus' love, this little portion, but yet he was using all six to serve Christ with all of his heart. Does that make sense? So my question is to you, and I want you to think about it, are you really truly using everything that you have? for the Lord, really. Because a lot of people don't. What giftings have God, has God put into you? You know? And this is kind of where I'm going with this, the basics, because I, first off, I want people to be in heaven one day, but I also want people to bear fruit while we're here. All right, so listen to this. We all know that there's a book of life. I'm going to tell you a few other stories and show you something here, but we all know that there's a Lamb's book of life. And when you truly accept Christ as your Savior, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But in the book of Revelation, it says your name can be blotted out. That's a scary thought, isn't it? So here's something. There was a man that was a preacher in Africa. You can YouTube this story. Look it up. You can watch it for yourself. It's amazing. He was a preacher in Africa. And he was driving his car. Had a car wreck. The... The wheel, the steering wheel, jammed into his chest. He ended up dying. He was dead for three days. This is a true, verified story, okay? He was dead for three days. He was embalmed. How many knows you're really dead when you're embalmed? He was embalmed. This was three days later in Africa. During this time, nobody knew it, but the Lord sent an angel and showed him heaven and hell. But while he's on the earth dead in his casket, His wife, the Lord spoke to her that scripture about those that believe would receive those back from the dead, you know. And it might have been the story of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. But anyway, she had some word of the Lord, and she believed that somehow this man was going to be restored. And that takes some faith when somebody's three days dead and embalmed. So instead of taking him to the cemetery and burying him, she takes him to a Reinhardt Bonnke meeting. Okay. This is a true story. I can't believe y'all don't know this story. This has gone all over the world. All right, anyway, she takes him to a Reinhardt Monkey meeting. Now, they didn't want her to bring a wheel of casket into the actual meeting, okay? So he was in this big area, and so they, there was a basement area, and they took him down where he's secluded in the basement area. It was his wife and some other people there, and they brought somebody with a video camera. And so while Bonky's preaching and things are going, you know how Bonky is, right? He's going to throw his fist and yell really loud. He's preaching. He's going at it, right? The power of God hits this dead guy. And all of a sudden, his chest starts moving. 
up and down, and people are, people are starting to freak out. The camera guy is zooming in on it. Is this all on the video? You can watch it yourself. And he ends up coming back to life. All right, so the story was, while he was dead, that the angel of the Lord came to him and said, you're going to go back to life. You're going to go back. And he said, but before you do, I must show you heaven and hell. And, he, and the angel told him, this story will go all over the world, and it has. It's literally gone all over the world. Because it was such an airtight testimony. There were so many different witnesses, doctors, embalm, the embalmer, <laughs> the casket guy. And there were so many different people that the story was just airtight. You know, he was, the guy was raised from the dead. Okay. So it's gone all over the world. And what, what the guy said was that he was shown heaven. And the angel told him, now he's a preacher, and the angel told him, said, actually, if this experience had not happened to you, you would not have gone to heaven. And he said, why? And he, she, the angel said, because you refused to forgive people that had wronged you, and therefore your sins weren't forgiven. Hello? I'm getting everybody to think about eternity here, heaven and hell, okay? But he saw heaven. It was glorious. It was amazing. He was shown hell. When he was shown hell, there was these gates that opened. And there was people being tormented. They were in fire. And he saw this guy that had been um, a Christian. And he was screaming out. He had stole money from the church and wanted to give it back. But it was too late. And I actually knew the guy. Let's get off this story and go to another story. I knew this guy. We were at a camp meeting together, and we had to pray in the altars, you know, and so I spent a lot of time with him. And I heard this story from different preachers over the years, but I actually met the guy that this happened to. It was pretty neat because I heard the story from him directly. But he said that he had grown up in a pastor's home and had really backslid, got away from God, wasn't doing good, and his life ended up, he ended up going through a really painful betrayal but anyway, at some point, he really wanted to surrender everything to the Lord. He wanted to surrender not only his life, but to go into the ministry and everything. And he was very sincere about it. And he really gave his life to the Lord and really surrendered everything. And he said while he was praying about all of this, he spent a while praying to the Lord, getting everything right with him. He said he had an open vision. And he was praying like this. I think he might have been on the, on the ground. I can't remember. But he said it was like all of a sudden the ground opened. And he saw into hell, and he saw that there was these pits of fire everywhere, and people were in the pits, and they were screaming. And he said that there was a guy, though, that was going pit to pit, reaching down and grabbing the tops of people's head and pulling them back where he could see their face. And he said the guy just looked like just pure hatred. And he was sitting there looking at this, like, what in the world's going on? And he asked the Lord in the vision, what is this guy doing? And listen to this. The Lord told him he's looking for the man that told him that you can live in sin and still go to heaven when you die. And he said, you don't be that man. It's not my job as a preacher to tell people, hey, no matter what you're going to do in life, you're going to go to heaven. That's not my job. My job is to tell people you better make sure that you're right with God, okay? It's the Holy Spirit's job to confirm to you if you're actually right with God. All right, so we know that our book, our names can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but there's other books. There's the Book of Remembrance. This is where I'm going now with this. Malachi 3.16. 
said, Those that fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now look at what they're doing. They feared the Lord. There needs to be a revival of the fear of the Lord in the church right now, that more than probably anything else, there's this flippant attitude towards sin and this flippant attitude about God and they're going to be in for a rude awakening one day. There needs to be a fear of God back, but he said those that feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention to it. A book of remembrance was written, and it says those who fear the Lord and esteem his name, those two things, they fear the Lord, esteem his name, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I will prepare my possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between those that serve God and those who do not serve him. So... We see that there are other books. So now I'm going to shift gears and talk about how can we get, how can we bear fruit for the kingdom? How, listen, I don't know about you, but when I stand before the Lord, I, I want him to have a smile and I want him to say, well done. And I want him to look at my life and my works, whatever it is, whatever book or whatever I have. Whatever it is, I don't want it to be, I don't want to be standing on judgment day in a pile of ashes. Are y'all hearing me? I don't want to be standing on judgment day that everything that I did for God was just wood, hay, and stubble. It really didn't matter in eternity. And when it was judged by fire, it it became nothing. It was a pile of ashes. I want what I do for the Lord, and it may, a lot of it may be done in secret. A lot of it, maybe nobody ever know about it. It doesn't make no difference. But I want it to be that it's, it's precious gems and gold to him. But that's the thing. We have to be willing to be faithful with what we're supposed to be doing. But we also have to be willing to do it for the right reasons. Because some people say, well, you know, I'll give this, I'll do this. But in reality, they're doing all of that so that people will pat them on the back so that they'll get recognition, so that they'll look real spiritual. And on Judgment Day, they may be doing stuff, but they're doing stuff that's wood, hand, stubble. As Jesus said, if you do all of that to, to get the glory of men, when you get the glory of men, you've got your reward in full right there. But he said, when you do these things, do them in secret. Do them unto God, and great will be your reward in heaven. So, here's some things that that I want to mention as I go into this. Jesus taught us to be salt and light. You guys remember these scriptures? He said, if salt loses its saltiness, it's worth nothing except to be trampled underfoot. And he said that we're also supposed to be a light of the world. So how are we salt and light? Let's be real practical about this. What does that mean? Because some people hear that and, you know, it just, what does it mean if they don't understand it? You know what I'm saying? How can we apply it to our lives? Salt... Has, it changes the flavor. Listen, when God looks at a city and he sees all the bars and the clubs and the sin and the sexual sin and the, the drug abuse and the alcohol and all this stuff and this partying and all this garbage, is there somebody in that city, though, that is righteous and that is really praying to God for him to save souls and send a move of his spirit and to do a mighty work? Those people are the salt of that city. 
It changes the taste of that city, so to speak, in the mouth of God. Meaning where God looked down on it and it was like a foul stench. But then all of a sudden he sees the righteous and they're praying and it's like an aroma to him and it changes everything about that city. And he will answer their prayers and send revival. The great revival of Hebrides, as many of you already know and even probably read a recent post I sent, but the revival in Hebrides where the Spirit of God came down and that whole area was shaken with the power of God, great harvest of souls, was because of a handful of old ladies and a handful of older men that were praying and revival came. The way that we're light, how can we be light? By sharing the gospel. So we're salt by being prayer warriors, but we're light by sharing the gospel. We're giving people the truth. And look at the way God views this. So the way that this happens in our lives, when God really has our heart and we really love the Lord, and we're really sincere, people are going to be faithful to his house. People are going to be faithful in things like tithing and offerings. They are. They're going to be faithful. And they want to bear fruit for the Lord. They, 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 want, they love him. They're hungry. They're on fire for God. And let me just encourage, is there some people that you used to be really on fire, but now things have died down? This is the time to really pray about that. Let God reignite a fire fresh in us. All right, so Cornelius in Acts 10, 4 through 5. Cornelius was just this typical guy but he really loved God. And it says this, this, he was praying and an angel appeared to him. I imagine that Cornelius was scared half to death, man. He probably prayed out on his patio every day for how many years, nobody knows. And then he's out there one day and all of a sudden this angel appears to him. You know it scared him half to death. And this angel told Cornelius in Acts 10, 4 through 5, your prayers... And your alms that you're giving to the the needy and the poor, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for Peter. Now what did we just read in the book of remembrance? It said that there was a book for those that fear the Lord, that revere his name and all that. And then look at this. It was called the book of remembrance. This was your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial a remembrance offering unto God. His name was in the book of remembrance. So look at what God took notice of. His continual prayers and his giving. And then look at this. Acts 7, 4 through 5. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, Now there was a man, a centurion. Most of you know the story. The centurion came to Jesus, had a sick servant, and the centurion asked Jesus to come heal his servant. But a lot of people have not read this part. It says, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, he's worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. I believe that's actually supposed to be in the book of Luke. I'm sorry if that's a typo there. But they, he said they, he loves our nation, he loves Israel, and he built them a church. So he financially blessed the people of God. And Jesus got up and went to the centurion's house, but the centurion met him along the way and said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and he'll be healed. Remember the story? And Jesus said the word and he was healed and said, this man has great faith. But look at what was important here. 
people entreated Jesus and said, look, he loves the nation of Israel and he has built us a synagogue. He has, he has sowed financially into the things of God. That meant something to Jesus. So I'm transitioning this into God's love for his house, for his, um, his church. <clears throat> How many of you guys know that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden? But when sin came, it separated the fellowship. And from the very beginning, God has been wanting to restore fellowship back with humanity. That's the whole reason Jesus came. Because God wants a family and he wants our fellowship. And so I mean to tell you that the church, a place where God's people come together and worship and spend time with him, is of great value to him. It touches his heart. It's a place where we can fellowship with God and one another. So, with that said, look at some of these scriptures here. It was time for the children of Israel to build a dwelling place for God, the tabernacle of Moses. I have a picture of it over here on the wall that you can look at. It's, it's a beautiful structure. But here it was. It was built. Moses was to build it. And they, they got to provide all of the materials that were needed. And whenever Moses said, please bring the materials that we need to build the house of God, Look at this. It says the people are bringing much more. People came to Moses and said, Moses, you're going to have to do something. The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction of the work which the Lord has commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform any work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more for the material that they brought was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. See, God's heart for his dwelling was in those people, and they wanted to bless God. They wanted to give to the house of God. I'm going to tell you today, we need that heart back in the church, because I know for a fact there are places out there that their buildings are dilapidated. They, they don't have what they need, and there's, there's people that go to that church that could do more, but they don't care. They don't care to give of their time and their resources for the house of God. In Matthew 6, Jesus taught us the famous teachings. He said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. All of us know the English language enough to know. He didn't say if you pray, if you fast, if you give. It was a given that God's people were supposed to be people of prayer, people of fasting, and people of giving. And I believe there's a connection there with a 30, 60, 100-fold Christian that is really going to be fruitful for the kingdom. But talking about how Jesus judges things, Luke 21, we know the story of the widow's mite, or the two mites the widow had. Remember, all these rich people were coming and giving in the offering, which is fine. They're doing a good thing. But then Jesus sees the little widow coming who had hardly anything. She was poor. And she gave out of her poverty, she gave two mites, which might have been the very thing that she was going to eat on that day. She gave her two mites into the offering, and Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you take note, she gave more than everybody else here today. I'm going back to the way Jesus sees things. Is everybody else there at that time would have seen all the rich people come in and dropping their big bags of money in the offering, and saw the little woman 
come in with little two pennies and drop them in and would have thought, well, she gave the least. How could anybody have given less? You know, she gave the least. But Jesus said, no, I'm trying to show you guys something. In my eyes, in the eyes of God, she gave far more than anybody else here today. The way God judges things. So our hearts before God. In Acts 2.43, revival broke out. The Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And it says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began, Look at this. They began to sell their own property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were, ta- they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. But look, they were willing in the early church, that if there were widows and orphans and people that were in need, they were willing to sell their property and bring the money at the apostle's feet so that the apostle could distribute it to those in need. That's a whole other ball game than just tithing on what you make. But unfortunately, in most churches across the nation, there's a lot of people that are stealing from what is actually rightfully God's. And let me show it to you. Matthew 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? I'm sorry, Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? And God's rebuking Israel. He's saying, you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. He said, you are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there'll be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out more blessing than there's room enough to contain, then I will rebuke the devourer so that it will, not, it will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor will your vine of the field cast its grapes. All the nations will call you blessed and you'll be delightful in the land. But your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. You say, what have we spoken against you? But it's a, it's a vain thing to serve God. For what profit is there in it to keep we have in keeping his charge that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. Anyway, he's saying that you're arrogant and you've stolen from me. See, what you got to understand is, is that the tithe, God only asks for 10% of what we make. He could ask for 50. He could ask for 60. You know, I've always been a tither. I was thankful that my parents were, t- I was just raised that way, you know. And, at, you know, when my wife and I got married, we've always tithed. That's just what we do. We tithe what, first 10%. But the Bible says that people that aren't tithing are actually stealing from God. Now think about it for a minute. I remember being in the ministry back years ago at this church. And this particular church was not known, in my opinion, as being a giving church at all. Most people did not tithe. And God was needing a place in this city. This was in East Texas. He was needing a place where he could pour out his spirit. I'm telling you, there had been a lot of prayer, and there was a need for revival, and God needed a place to pour out his spirit. But these people, bless their heart, they, they were not the type of people. I tried to hold prayer meetings, and I would get out of a couple hundred people, I'd get like two or three people at a prayer meeting. And we would try to do evangelism and outreach. And then again, out of a couple hundred people, we'd get one or two people show up. 
You looked across the congregation and, and half of them or more weren't even tithers. They, they were thieves, stealing from God. And God wanted to pour out his spirit there, but he passed them by. It started to happen in that church, but God moved on. And I remember there were times when the Spirit of God would start coming in that church, and I knew that there was, there was a remnant there in that church that there was a few, there was a few people that really loved God, and they, they were real sincere, and they were the tithers, you know. They were the ones that were doing things in the church. And, and when the Spirit of God started moving, those people would really get hit by the power of God. God would really touch them. Then there'd be other people, and I knew, because I was in leadership, I knew who was who, you know. And I'd see other people that weren't really getting touched by God. But look at this, Haggai 1 verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house of God lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but there's not enough. You drink and there's not enough. You put on clothing to be warm, and it's not enough. The one who earns wages ends up putting them in a purse or like a pocket with holes in it. This says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. So God was saying here to them, look, you're living in your fancy houses while my house is lying in ruins? It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew six thirty one. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For Gentiles, you know, seek after these things. For your heavenly Father knows you need these things. But he said, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. But seek first the kingdom. And 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all evil. That may be very well what a lot of problem is, is that people's hearts are not right. Because I'm going to tell you what I've seen in the ministry. When somebody really gets touched by God and they have an encounter with God and they really love the Lord with all their heart, listen to me, you can't keep them out of church. I'm just telling the truth. I'm sorry if it steps on toes, but it's the truth. And... You can't stop them from being tithers. And every time there's a need, they're the first ones trying to give to that need in the church. I'm just saying. And they're so on fire for God, their hearts, they love the Lord with all their heart. If the church has some need, they'll come up and work on it and fix it. If we call prayer meetings, they're at the prayer meetings. They're early. They want to come in and pray. If we call evangelism and outreach meetings, we want to get out and win souls, they're there. It's the hungry. It's those that, that are on fire for God. But let me tell you, there's a warning in Scripture about being lukewarm. The Lord said that if you're lukewarm, you're going to be spewed out of his mouth, and that, that translates vomited. Have we lost our first love? Have we gotten away from the passion? Have we lost the hunger, the, 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 the zeal that we once had? That's the question. Is our hearts burning for him? Because out of that hunger for the things of God comes a life that's totally devoted to him. I'm sharing all this, and I hope the Holy Spirit is convicting everybody's socks off, okay? But here's why. Because I'm hoping over the next year that we're going to bear fruit. 
What if six months from now we're caught up out of here? You know, what, what, uh, does any of us have the fruit we need to be bearing? I don't want to be standing in a pile of ashes. I don't want to be at judgment seat and look over at you and see you standing in a pile of ashes. I'm trying to help people and say, look, the, the, the time that you sow in prayer, the witnessing that you're doing, the, the finances and things you're putting into God's kingdom, all of this is being recorded on your behalf and when you stand before God on Judgment Day, it's going to be to your credit. It's going to be rewards that you've earned in heaven. And you don't want to be somebody that's walking around in heaven and don't think there won't be a bunch of them that are walking around with no crown, no rewards, and they see people over here talking amongst themselves about, man, you remember the time we saw this dead person raised and this sick person healed and we did this and this. And, and they're talking about all the sacrifices they made for the Lord and all this stuff. And then you're over here kind of half embarrassed because you didn't really do nothing for God. While they were out doing things for God, you're sitting at home watching TV. And then they look over at you and go, hey, what about you? And you're like, well, I don't really have anything to say. And, you know, that's exactly how it's going to be. Think about it for a minute. You got people that lived in the days of Rome when Nero, crazy guy, went berserk and began to kill everybody, remember? And he was chasing down the Christians, having a martyr and killed Think about this for a minute. There's going to be people in heaven, and you're going to meet them, I'm going to meet them, that died a martyr's death during these times. So let's just say a hypothetical story. Little Susie. Of course, that wouldn't be her name because it'd be some Roman Greek name, but okay, we'll call her Susie. She's there, and you say, hey, Susie, tell me your story. And she says, well, she says, I lived in the days of Nero, and my family were Christians, and we were trying to live right. And all of a sudden, one day, these Roman soldiers busted through the door, and they dragged us all out. And we were in prison, and I didn't see my mom and dad till a week later, and we were drugged into this coliseum. And there was all these people everywhere screaming and yelling, and, and I didn't know really what was going on. I saw my mom and dad over there, and they were down, kneeled down praying. And so I went with them, and all of a sudden these doors opened, and these lions came out, and they, they were going to attack us and kill us. I'd never been so scared in my life. And the people told me before I came, hey, if you'll just renounce this Jesus, you can walk away from here. And little Susie says, but I couldn't do that. She said, I died that day, and the angels brought me here. What's your story? We want a story, amen? I lived in a prosperous nation where we weren't persecuted like that, but I gave everything that I could for the gospel. Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to gain wealth. Let me break right now a mentality of poverty. I'm going to start winding this up, okay? Some people have a mentality that God wants you poor and defeated, and somehow that's righteous or spiritual. Listen, the devil is fighting the church, so let's just play devil's advocate. If you were the devil, and you had to come up with a strategy against God's people to stop the gospel, what would you do? Think about it for a minute. First off, you would probably try to get them all fighting with each other so that there's no unity. He's unfortunately doing a pretty good job in a lot of places. Number two, you try to make people sick so that they couldn't do anything for God. And then number three, you would attack their finances so they had nothing to give. I think that some people don't realize that it takes money to do things. 
I mean, there's a rent here. There's, there's bills. I, you know, the, it's just a practical. So the people that are doing these crusades, like, for example, Bonky in, in Africa doing crusades where hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands and millions are getting saved, I don't think there's anybody in Africa just saying, hey, we'll give you this huge area for free, Bonky. Well, you know, all these lights and equipment, all this so that the millions of people can hear you across, you know, two or three football fields. We're just going to give it to you for free this time, you know. And just everything's going to be free. You know, we'll even send a limo to drive you there, Bonk. It's not like that, man. He's got to rent all that stuff. He's got to pay for all that stuff. But it's worth it when all these people get saved, isn't it? But God wants that old poverty mentality to be broken in people, that, that you're meant to live impoverished and defeated. Now, I would say that on, I'll come back to this at the end, but my, on my father's side, we would agree. We prayed about this. We Back in the early 2003-04 time frame, I started understanding about generational curses. And there was, on my father's side, there's quite a bit of Native American. And on my mother's side, there's actually a lot. And on my mother's side, there's a lot of Freemasonry. And one of the things that we saw in the family of relatives was that there seemed to be like a curse of poverty. And there's several, I'll list them for you at the end of this sermon. There's, there's signs of like a generational curse. Now, I remember we really prayed about this stuff. I mean, we, we really, as a family, me and them, prayed and prayed about the generational junk and the Indian uh, heritage and the Freemasonry. And after we did that, we broke these curses. And it was almost immediate because Dad had always been a tither and a giver all those years. But it was like, even though we were doing fine, it was like it never really broke out completely into all that God had. And when we broke that generational curse, this is a true story, there was a very large sum of money that was released to him. And it was like God had it backed up and just waiting and just came to him. And ever since then, it's been different. There was just a new level of financial prosperity. God does not want us living in poverty, in defeated. Deuteronomy 8.18 it says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to gain wealth. God will empower you to be able to prosper. Why? So that you can live like some king in a big mansion and, and go out on your boat on Sunday and all this stuff? No. So that you can prosper, but you can be a blessing to the kingdom of God and be a blessing to many others. That's the whole point. Not to be selfish about it. Proverbs ten twenty two: the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. But it's a life of faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul uses the example of sowing, like a a farmer would sow seed. So you sow a hundred seed, you're wanting for a hundred crop to come up. That's a hundredfold harvest, okay? Listen to what he said. Now I say this to you, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one of you must do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. And it is, as it is written, does that sound like a poverty mentality? No. He said God wants you to abound. It says this, He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberty, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. 
For the ministry of his service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overthrow, overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. So it's the, the job of the people to provide for God's house and provide for what needs to take place. Okay. Verse 13, because of the proof God given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyway. So those that sow sparingly reap sparingly. Those that sow generously reap generously. So Paul was trying to teach the church of that time, listen, if you'll be a people that will give, and here's the interesting thing. There was a a prophecy that came to the early church that there was going to be famine. And Paul, during a time of famine, everybody wants to hoard their money. But Paul went through and had them all take up offerings to give to the work of God. Why? Because he knew that if he could get them giving, that when the famine hit, they would be reaping the blessings of what they gave. That's important. That's, that's in the book of Acts. You can see that if you do the chronology. Here's the last couple things. Abraham had wealth. He prospered. In Genesis 13, 2, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. And we know that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And the Bible says in Hebrews that we are in the order of Melchizedek as far as a priesthood. Christ, his priesthood is in the order of Melchizedek. So we're like Abraham, we're tithing to the kingdom of Christ. And then the last couple things, Isaac had to live by faith. This is the point. People say, well, how do you break out of poverty? How do you break out of a poverty mentality? How do you... How do you get to where not only can you be blessed, but you can be a blessing to other people? Well, first off, you need to break any curse of poverty that's on your family. But secondly, you're going to have to step in faith and start being a giver, and there's no other way. Are you all hearing me? There's not another avenue. The first thing that I've determined, my wife and I, is that we're going to be tithers no matter what. We don't look at the bills first. We tithe first and then look at the bills. If we're short, then we're like, God will take care of it, and he always does. Sometimes it comes out of nowhere. But I've determined that I'm going to live by faith, and I'm not going to steal from God. I believe in my heart that when people don't tithe, that they took that money that belongs to God, and they stole it, and they put it in their pocket, and they spent it on themselves. It's not right. All right. But Isaac had to learn how to live by faith. I believe that's why God told him this. There was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land I'll show you. Sojourn in this land and I'll bless you. Now look at this. Verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped that year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. I don't think people are really going to appreciate this story unless I explain it. There was no rain. You go out in the desert and plow in dry ground, put seed, and there's no rain. And then you reap a hundredfold harvest. Every seed you plant, it comes up, and you tell me that's not a miracle. <clears throat> but God was showing Isaac, excuse me, to live by faith. And he reaped a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And it, like his father, he became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had great possessions. Okay, so I said all that because I feel this year that God is wanting people to break out of some old things. 
if you've been the type of person that has not really been the prayer warrior, you haven't been the salt that God wants you to be, ask his forgiveness. And let's make this year a year of prayer. If you have not been sharing your faith and coming and getting involved in the church like you should about these things, ask God's forgiveness and let's start doing it. Too many people are hearers of the word and not doers. Let's do it. Amen? Let's do it. And if you've got gifts in your life that you're supposed to be using for the Lord, then start doing it. You know, it, there's so many people that are not using what God has given them. And it's like that guy that had 100 portions and only used 75. Let's start being faithful with everything God's called us to do, everything he's called us to be. And if you've been withholding tithe, don't steal from God anymore. Lord, forgive me. I repent. This day I set forth that we're going to start being tithers. And let me tell you a story about this. There was a young lady that sat under my ministry years ago, and I talked about this, about being faithful with everything, including your finances, because I believe it's a hard issue for everybody. And she said, I'm going to start being a tither now. And not only that, but I had talked about giving to the poor, which I'm going to deal with that next sermon. I'm going to talk about widows, orphans, the poor, God's heart for the needy, all of that, okay? But this week, I focus more on giving into God's house, his kingdom. Anyway, she said, I'm not only going to tithe, but I'm going to start giving $25 above my tithe to go toward the poor and the needy, the benevolence, and to bless the nation of Israel. And I'm going to do it through River of Life. I said, God's going to bless you. I didn't tell her to do this. She did it on her own. And I knew. I said, man, I I think I mentioned my wife. I said, you watch. God's going to bless this young lady. She was working a very um, trivial job at at some grocery store where she was just part-time, wasn't making hardly any money. So her tithe and her $25, it wasn't much, but how many knows the widow's might? She was being faithful with what she had. She was being faithful. So to God, it was a lot. All right. So she was being faithful. I watched. I knew it was going to happen, too. There was a job open up at a bank where it was a good job. It was definitely better than what she had. But to get in, you kind of had to know somebody. It wasn't an easy thing to just apply for and get into because they need, I guess it was one of those small towns they needed to know you or whatever. But I, I really felt like that God was going to bless this young lady. She applies, gets the job, which was pretty amazing. She didn't know anybody there. Then on top of that, she kept, she increased her tithe. So she started making more money. She's like, I'm not going to steal from God. So she put her tithe, her tithe increased now. And she's still giving to the poor and blessing above that. The offering was above that. So God blessed her where she went from being part-time to full-time and started making pretty good money. And I knew it was going to happen. That's the way it works. There's a law of reciprocity. You reap what you sow. I mean, it's just the way it is. All right. Here's some signs, and we're going to pray right now, but here's some signs that there could be curses on your life. But let me say this before I list this. Just like in my, my parents' bloodline, we had a lot of Native American and then a lot of Freemasonry on my mom's side. I determined in myself that I become a Christian and now my root system goes back to Abraham and Israel, okay? And I refuse to have anything to do with these other gods anymore. Y'all hear me? I renounce the gods of the Native Americans. I love them and I honor them, but I renounce their gods. They're not my gods. I renounce their idols. I renounce their shamanism. 
I renounce their spiritism, and I renounce Freemasonry. I love my family. I bless them. I honor them, but I renounce the gods of Freemasonry. I renounce their idolatry, that witchcraft. I want nothing to do with it, and I, I renounce it. I've turned my back on all of that and totally followed Jesus, and I had to break those curses. And I'm going to tell you, don't leave it. Y'all hear me? Don't leave this stuff to the next generation to deal with. Don't leave it to your children to have to fight this horrible battle because you refuse to do it. It's one of the things I loved and honored about my wife. She had so much witchcraft and things in her family, but she determined, she said, I am going to break all this stuff. I'm going to deal with every single bit of it. I'm not going to leave one thing for my children or my descendants to have to deal with. And she's done it. And so some of these curses that come have to do with poverty and a poverty mentality. See, the demonic realm, it's sitting back on the world, and the world has an excuse because they're a bunch of heathens. And the demonic shoots these thoughts into the minds of the heathens saying, oh, all these Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. All these churches are a bunch of phonies for weak people. And all, all these people are just after money, you know. And the world just believes it. It's demons putting that in their mind. They just believe it. They have an excuse. They're a bunch of heathens. Christians don't have an excuse to be listening to that garbage. Here's some signs. There's nine. Nine is the number of judgment. There's nine curses in the Bible for disobeying God and his word. Humiliation, barrenness, unfruitfulness. That's an inability to have children. Number three, mental, physical breakdown. Things like mental illness, physical illnesses that travel down family bloodlines. Four, number four, family breakdown. Family breakdown is like divorce, family alienation, people don't get along. The next one, poverty and famine. People really struggle. They seem to take three steps or two steps forward to take three backward. The next one, defeat. They live defeated. The next one, oppression. They live under a heavy oppression of the enemy. The next one is failure, and the last one is disfavor. Those are nine curses in the Bible for disobeying. And you see that in family bloodlines. You see signs of a curse where people have strange illnesses. People have, and they're in the bloodline. They, they have strife in their family. People can't get along. They can't even get together you know, on Labor Day or whatever and, and barbecue without somebody breaking out in a big fight. There's... Um, there's other signs like um, poverty and struggling financially, etc. You can go down this, but you can see it down family bloodlines. It's generational curses. Now, there's also seven blessings for obedience. So once you break the curses, you can start coming into the blessings that God has for you. All right, here they are. Number one, exaltation, promotion, the head, not the tail. That's where God causes you to really prosper and to move up like in management in, in your you're the head, not the tail. Top, not the bottom, Bible says. The next one is health. That God gives you health. Number three, reproductiveness. That's the ability to have children. The next one is prosperity. Financial prosperity. Are you seeing a pattern here? Okay, in the, the curses, there's poverty. In the blessings, there's prosperity. All right, then you have abundance. And that's what God said about tithers. If you'll tithe, he said, I'll rebuke the devourer, open the heavens, and pour out more blessings than there's room enough to contain. What that means is you're going to have to have garage sales. Let's just be practical and put it in today's terminology. You're not going to have room enough, and you're going to have to be giving stuff away. 
Why does God do it? So we can just sit around and be selfish? No. So that we can be a blessing to his kingdom. There's been times in the ministry where people have really been in need, and it was serious. And I went through quietly, and and I I know who the givers are, you know. And I went to the givers and said, guys, this person's not. And, man, you'd be surprised. People's handing me all this money, you know. And I go to somebody and hand it to them. They start crying. But, see, that's, that's the kingdom, isn't it? See, when we're blessed, we can be a blessing to other people. The next one is God's favor. How many want God's favor? Listen, God's favor is where God causes people to like you that normally would. And it's inexplainable. You go in to buy a new car, and all of a sudden they just like you. They want to give you a good deal, and they don't even know why. And you leave out there going, why in the world did I do that? I mean, I've been over backward to get this guy the cheapest deal. I lost some of my commission over this guy. What was I thinking, you know? And it was the favor of God the whole time. And then the last one is victory over your enemies. But over this next year, guys, we're going to pray renunciation prayer. We're going to pray for everybody once prayer. But over this next year, I want you to think about, am I really being fruitful? Am I faithful to God's house? Am I faithful in my tithing? Am I faithful in my offerings that God's put on my heart? Am I being faithful with my time to, to be? I love the intercessors that are coming up on their own time on off days and praying. Listen, that's, that's all going down in your book. It's all going down. You, you, nobody knows. A lot of times I don't even know when you come up here, all right? You come up on your own and you're praying and you're interceding. And, and the very person that gets saved Saturday night when somebody goes out, Fernando or somebody goes out and talks to them and they get saved, they actually got birthed in the kingdom when the intercessor was travailing here on some off night, you know? And all of that's getting written down. You may not be get a pat on the back here in this life, but we don't need that, do we? We're going to have Jesus' favor when we see him. I want to pray a renunciation prayer, and then we're going to just pray for anybody that wants prayer tonight. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. It's here at this feast time that I wanted to deal with all this sin. I imagine this sermon convicts all of us, amen? But I want us to deal with this stuff. If, we've, if we used to be more on fire for God, and don't tell me that you're on fire for God if you sit at home and don't come to church when you could come because you're not. You're not. Don't tell me you're on fire for God if you're, not, if you're not having a real burden for souls and wanting to do something about it. You know what I'm saying? Don't say, oh, pastor, I'm so on fire, man. I, I, and then your life isn't reflecting. It doesn't work that way. If you're on fire for God, it's going to be noticeable. Okay, when there's a big fire burning, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody sees the fire. They smell the smoke. So I want us right now in this time, if we've backslid, if we've allowed sin in our lives, if we've allowed entertainment, movies, and, and things that, uh, you know, maybe alcohol or something else, we've allowed stuff to creep in, and we've backslid, we're letting stuff in our lives we used to not. We're, we're, we've stopped doing the things we should be doing. And we're not where we used to be with God. I want us to deal with it right where you're at tonight. First, I'm going to leave a renunciation prayer. Then I'm going to allow everybody to pray for a few minutes. But if we've grown cold, say, Lord, forgive me. Set my heart ablaze again. Let me burn for you. Put a hunger in me again. Send revival in my life again. Get the junk out of me. Forgive me, Lord. And let's get serious with God. I want everybody to pray this out loud first. 
Lord, I forgive anyone that's wronged me. Forgive me, Lord, for all the sin, the backsliding, the rebellion, the idolatry, the iniquity that's been in my life and my ancestors. I bring it under the blood of Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, for pride, rebellion, resentment, revenge, envy, jealousy, strife, lust, all sexual sins, witchcraft, idolatry, divination, sorcery, occult practices, satanic objects, criminal activity, fear, doubt, unbelief, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, pornography, all addictions. Forgive me for cutting, burning, or marking my body. Forgive me for suicide, shedding blood, hatred, abortions, anger, rage, or murder. I renounce all dedications to other gods that's been in my past or my ancestry. Unholy vows, oaths, ceremonies, satanic rituals, or pacts with the devil. I renounce these things. I renounce the false gods of my ancestors. I break these curses, all this filth off my life and command it to leave me now and forever. In Jesus' mighty name, I thank you, Lord, for freedom. Let it come, Lord. Let it come. Man, there's a mighty anointing coming in this place. I was so...